Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, episode 11. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It, a novel by Ed Adams. Bad. From Cannes, the two Russians had soon reached Nice Airport and travelling on their Belgian passports had caught the last flight back to London's Heathrow Airport. They arrived at around 9pm and decided to stay in a hotel close to the airport. They had the address of Jake's flat and were prepared to handle the situation with Jake in the morning. They used a shuttle bus to get to the Radisson Edwardian at Heathrow, which was close to the airport and also close to the main route running east from the airport into London, along the A4 trunk road and the M4 motorway. From the hotel's concierge, they ordered a hire car to be available from the next morning, which they could use to get into central London. By 10 o'clock, they were in the hotel's brasserie, ordering a late meal and arranging to meet an associate for breakfast in a nearby venue. Detective Inspector Truman and Sergeant Green had decided the same morning to visit Jake's flat. They had already made several calls to his cellular phone, as well as contacting his office. They had asked for an alert if Jake tried to call his office. They had also made a prior visit to his flat, and if they were unable to make contact on this occasion, then they would be taking a search warrant. The Russians had started their own preparation to visit Jake's. They had started extremely early, picking up the hire car and driven from the hotel to an adjacent McDonald's burger restaurant. Their plan was simple. If Jake didn't know anything about the plan on his life, then it would be easy to visit him while he was indoors and to finish the job. They knew that both Jake and also access to the information stored in his flat were important, with the trade-off that the information was paramount and Jake was expendable. In the neon-lit early morning darkness adjacent to McDonald's car park, they met their associate and transferred two aluminium cases from one car to the other. The exchange took a few seconds and both cars were back into the busy London traffic, the Russians heading towards London and the other car heading in the opposite direction towards the west. The Russians intended to execute their plan quickly, visit Jake's flat, silently terminate Jake and then search the flat for the missing information. They knew that if Amelia Brophy had found the information, she would have used it to bargain during their meeting in France. Without that, she had no leverage. She had failed a mission, not got paid, and then faced her own execution. The two Russians would not make the same mistake. They had clear instructions with regard to Jake, and also to the information that they required. They would ask Jake for information first, rough him up for a second, and if he was unable to divulge, then they would kill him anyway. If he told them the information, they would briefly verify it and then kill him. If he didn't appear to know anything, they would kill him and then tear the place apart. It was a simple plan and the two end objectives were the termination of Jake and the retrieval of the missing information. They planned the approach to Jake's to be early enough for him to be indoors and probably still in bed. As they approached the area of Jake's flat, they surveyed the parking options. Central London, very early morning, residents still at home, so limited parking. They found a residence spot and parked anyway. They realised the car may be clamped or worse, towed away, but they knew that they could find an alternative escape route if needed. From the back of the car, they opened the aluminium cases. Each contained a Pernach OT-33 automatic pistol, capable of firing 18 rounds, and the second case also included an army green hat holdall and a small bag of specialised tools. They took the tools, the two weapons, and loaded them into the holdall. 
None of this was particularly heavy and the end result was easy enough to carry. As they approached the house they surveyed the parked cars in the vicinity. They were looking for something more than five years old. A red Vauxhall Carlton. This was easy. They quietly broke into the car, disabled the steering lock and ensured that they could start the engine. They now had two options for a getaway vehicle as well as taxis and public transport. They climbed the steps at the front of the house within which was Jake's flat unaware that they were the third group to visit in this way. It was still early in the morning and they made their way directly to his room. The yell lock on the door was easy to disable. One of the tools in the smaller bag was designed to cut through the barrels in a household lock and to insert a new blank blade which could be used to turn the lock. This made a small amount of noise like a skipping power screwdriver but within 10 seconds the door was open. They both stepped in with their guns held alert, safety catches off. They could scare Jake witless before they started to question him. Like professionals, they moved swiftly from room to room, covering each other as they swiftly searched for Jake. Nothing. No one present. They both relaxed slightly and brought their guns down. Maybe they could find the information now, but if necessary, wait for Jake to return later. The way they had disabled the lock was going to leave a telltale reminder that something had happened, so they realised at this stage they were getting in deep. One spoke. Let's search for the recorder or any computers which could store the information. They started to search. It became quickly apparent that they were not the first people to work through the flat. There were enough mains leads and cables, spare keyboards and computer mice on the desktop to show that there had been one and possibly two computers there until a short time ago. There were dust marks from a fan inlet and some disconnected network cables, some of which ran to a junction box on the floor. Someone had been here and disconnected whatever technology had been present. Truman and Green were on their way to Jake's flat. This was their second visit. It was early morning and if Jake was living in the flat he should still be there at the time they would arrive. They had the same problem parking as the Russians. In their case they parked in the same residence area but by flipping a small document onto the front dashboard they had a different expectation from the Russians. They would not be towed away. The little car indicated they were from the local constabulary. Together, they climbed the steps to the main entrance to the house, which was already open. They knew the way to the flat, having visited previously. As they got to the door, they rang the bell, but immediately noticed the door was ajar and the lock looked damaged. Radio for some cover, whispered Truman, as Green pulled his communicator from his suit. Truman gently pushed the door open. He immediately saw the two men who were both looking towards him. There was a staccato puff as the first bullet hit him, followed by two others. Before he fell, he saw Green walking backwards and then also falling to the ground. Two more bullets were fired and the room again became quiet. The Russians looked at one another. Whatever was here has been taken already. We should go. The second Russian nodded, picking up the walkie-talkie from Truman's body. They were police, he said. We need to go right now. They quickly gathered the tools and hold all and placed the pistols inside. The first Russian opened the door to the kitchen. He turned on the four hobs and the oven and opened the oven door. Back in the area where the two police body lay, he lit a candle which was perched on a windowsill. He moved the candle further into the room and placed it on the floor. We have about five minutes, he said. They walked out of the room, closing the door, then across the hallway and out of the front door, descending the three steps and back to their hire car, still parked in the residence bay. The first Russian sat in the driver's seat, turned the ignition and the two of them drove slowly away. Seven minutes later, the police arrived, quietly, without the use of sirens. 
The nature of call from Green had suggested stealth and discretion. Two cars arrived, one ordinary police car and the other a more specialised armed response unit. There were a few moments of radio exchange and then the men of the armed unit started to climb the stairs towards Jake Flat. As they were preparing to go inside, there was a muffled sound like an explosion. It was the gas from the hob being ignited. The small blue-yellow fireball tore through the building. Immediate effects were the ignition of curtains and then cushions. The speed of the explosion was sucking the available air from the room. Blackened paper and other materials fluttered to the ground. A steady blaze ensued as other items in the room also caught fire, more like a bonfire blaze now than the explosive nature of the first few seconds. The armed police crouched and watched for respite from the fire, and then, as one, they noticed the prone bodies of Truman and Green, just outside the entrance to what was rapidly becoming a blackened and smoke-filled room.